This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots. My name's Lucy Dunn and I'm joined today by Kate Andrews and Isabel Hardman. Today we're going to be talking about the unprecedented 6 walkout by NHS Juniors Doctors in England. Isabel, can you tell us a little bit more about how we've got to the point that we're at? Gosh, I mean, that, that would be a, a, a podcast that could take several hours in and of itself because it's been a very long, um, protracted dispute. And those caught in the middle, so um, NHS providers essentially and obviously patients, um feel as though there have been a number of opportunities missed and wasted by both sides um, along this way. There were a number of opportunities where the government could have folded and pushed for a a reasonable pay deal with the BMA. The BMA Junior Doctors Committee uh, has also been particularly recalcitrant, um, even for the BMA Junior Doctors Committee, which is the most militant bit of a... um, a very difficult to deal with trade union where we've got to now despite there being hopes that a new health secretary victoria atkins uh, might be able to reset things given there have been a a breakdown of relations between the bma and uh, steve barkley the previous health secretary um although i have to say i, I think to be fair to steve barkley that was largely because Number 10 was not giving him any opportunity to, to to really do anything or any sort of wiggle room at all in the talks he was trying to pursue. But the uh, the hoped for reset as a result of Atkins's appointment has, has not come. Indeed, she's said a number of things that have inflamed tensions further with the BMA, such as describing junior doctors as um, what she prefers to call doctors in training. Now, Lucy, um, you are a, a qualified doctor. I, I'm sure you are one of the few people who does not have a self-esteem that, that needs to be reasonably well buoyed by politicians. Uh, but there is nothing that annoys doctors more than politicians who they tend to see as being ill-qualified and the people who they tended to beat at school, telling them that they're not actually real doctors. And indeed, I think if you're a junior doctor who has signed death certificates or performed lumbar punctures, you probably feel that you're a little bit more than just a uh, a work experience person making the coffee. That was pretty much guaranteed to make relations really difficult. And um, it did. So now we have the longest doctor's strike in history. And one of the things that I have sort of been tracking is whether the theory that was expounded to me by figures in Whitehall when these disputes started well over a year ago now. Their theory was that slowly public support for these strikes and indeed for the junior doctors would start to erode and that, you know, there would be a, a very painful war of attrition here. And I have to say I was quite sceptical, not least because along with journalists, politicians are the least trusted group of people in the country and doctors are the most. Uh, so it seemed like quite a quite a long war of attrition, which indeed it has been. But what has made the junior doctor's position more difficult now is obviously that the consultants have, have reached their um, deal on pay. Uh, this means that once again, as is so often the case in BMA uh, relations with the government, the juniors are, are on their own. 
and some of them feel quite betrayed by the consultants, but the consultants were always going to fold first because they are less angry and they don't have quite the same radical tendency amongst their um, reps. So where we are finally now, uh, and I, I did warn you that this this might be more of a sort of box set answer than than just one podcast, is that the BMA will not start talks until Victoria Atkins makes a pay offer. Victoria Atkins will not start talks until the BMA call off the strikes. And there we are. And Kate, as, as Isabel says, we're stuck in a bit of a stalemate just now with the junior doctors and the government um, not really going to the table unless the other person compromises. Do you think government stubbornness is to blame for the ongoing strikes? Or what, what's your impression of what's happening with the junior doctors? To say that the government has handled the NHS over the past few years well, and I include the strikes in that, but I also include um, its reaction to the pandemic and its messaging around the pandemic to patients, telling them to stay home, all the rest of it, would be a gross over-exaggeration. I think there are plenty of criticisms you can level at the government. One of the major difficulties here is that the doctors have been, and the nurses last year, We're asking for pay raises at a time where everybody, practically everybody, was taking a a real terms cut to their wages because of inflation. That, thankfully, is no longer the case, but that's only the reality of the past few months, certainly not of the past two years. And what the government has offered, which was last summer around an 8% pay raise for junior doctors, and then they offered 3% on top of that, which has been rejected, is much, much more than your average worker is going to get. Um, And, you know, it's very easy to compare junior doctors to bankers and all the rest of it, but the reality is actually um, this is a pretty well-paid profession, especially once you get out of the first two years. Even in that first year, a junior doctor is earning more than the median salary, but within a couple of years, we're talking about wages that can be double what your average worker is earning. And so when you're rejecting a 12% pay raise, I, I think you know you also find yourself 11 12% pay raise in, in, in a quite difficult position, not least because they're demanding a 35% pay raise. The horrible, harsh reality of this particular strike, as Isabel said, the longest one on record, and we've been breaking a lot of records recently when it comes to NHS strikes, um, is that the timing of this one is going to be particularly painful for patients. I think it is increasingly difficult for the British Medical Association, for the union, to say that this is also being done for patient safety, because they've chosen to strike at a time where the NHS is at breaking point every year because of seasonal viruses and cold weather. And they've decided to cancel not just tens of thousands more appointments on top of the million appointments that have been canceled by the strike so far, but you now have trusts up and down the country reporting that that they just don't know how they're going to get through this. You have a return to stay at home messaging um, from some uh, health executives who are saying, look, please don't come here if you don't need to. There are terrible warnings to elderly about the cold weather. They just don't know if, if they get too cold, if they're going to get the medical care that they need. You know, I wouldn't dare predict a turning point, and I think Isabel's you know, very right to note that actually public sympathy has largely still been in favor of um, especially the junior doctors and the nurses when they strike. But also, as Isabel says, you know, others have settled on pay and and the junior doctors deciding to strike now uh, when people are particularly vulnerable and we're going to get some horror stories over the next six days puts themselves when it comes to further negotiations in an already compromised position. 
Isabel, one of Rishi Sunak's five pledges was to cut the NHS waiting list during his time as Prime Minister. So given what's going on just now, is there any real possibility of this actually happening before an election, given the current backlogs faced by the NHS across the board? No, and I I mean, I was sceptical that he was going to succeed in that even before it became clear that we were going to have protracted industrial action confounding things. And he will always say, look, you know, numbers were starting to fall. We were making good progress before the strikes. That is to a certain extent true, probably not enough progress. And you could, you know, you can trace back through a a long number of years where decisions weren't taken uh, that are now coming home uh, to roost for the Conservatives on social care, on workforce training and and so on and so forth. And um, I think what he does have here, though, even if, as Kate and I both said, the public are still more in favour of doctors than politicians, they will accept the excuse uh, that the industrial action has made it hard to cut waiting lists. And I think that is probably going to be a a reasonable get-out clause for the Prime Minister. Uh, The question, I guess, going into an election is, well, how are you going to guarantee this isn't going to continue to paralyse the health service afterwards? On that, I think he does have a bit of cover from Labour, actually, because Keir Starmer is not saying, oh, well, actually, we're going to be really generous. When you ask Wes Streeting about this, he comes out with a very weak formulation of, you know, we wouldn't have got to this point. Well, actually, and I, I don't want to suggest that doctors just spend their whole lives getting offended about things that politicians say that, that don't fully respect them. But Wes Streeting has also offended doctors with with some of his comments uh, and some of his plans. He's had to sort of um, mollify the GPs, for instance, um, after his his early uh, utterances on, on reform. Uh, but Labour have been very clear, uh, Rachel Reeves, West Streeting and Keir Starmer, that, that there is not going to be more money for the doctors f- f- from them if they come into government. So at least Rishi Sunak doesn't have an opposition saying, oh, doctors, you, you just hold out because actually you're going to get the pay rise you want after the election. That that That's not um, what's been suggested. Um, I mean, I'm talking to you from Scotland where they haven't had doctor strikes because the SNP government had managed to pull things back from from the brink with its own pay offer. And when you listen to the BMA Junior Doctors Committee members, they tend to say, oh, you know, there's a political choice that the Conservatives have made that the SNP didn't make. Um, But we don't have that dynamic with the English doctors' strikes, um, which I think is is quite significant. I would also just note that um, I think it was over the summer, it was back in August when a co-chairman of the BMA was being interviewed on Radio 4. They were asked if they would accept the deal that was offered by the SNP if Westminster offered it, and they said no. And the question was why, and they said, well, it's a different government. And then when pushed about, well, is this actually quite ideological for you rather than a real question of pay and working conditions, they turned the question and said, well, the real ideology is coming from the Tory government. I I don't think you can ignore the politics here. It's not hard to imagine that a BMA trying to negotiate with West Reading and Kiyostama might be more receptive to, say, around 12%, which is roughly what the Tories are offering right now, than they would be dealing with Steve Barkley and Victoria Atkins. I don't think that's going to warm up patience to the BMA's cause, though. I mean, I think any sense that your operation and your treatment has been cancelled, possibly yet again, possibly already delayed from the COVID years, because there's an issue of 
Tories versus the BMA. And again, this this particular issue is coming from the BMA. I don't think that's going to warm warm patience to your cause. And and again, sort of doubling down on this point about when they're striking. Um, you know, at any point you are making that 7.7 million waiting list on NHS England alone worse because you're canceling more appointments. But you're not always targeting the health service when it's at its most vulnerable, when it is about to break. And 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 that's why this winter is going to be as I said, really quite tragic in some ways, but also very interesting from a a public perspective point of view because we do have quotes on the record. Let's see if we get more about huge implication from the BMA that the issue is not just the pay, it is the Tory government. And talking of politics, um, today the Reform Party leader Richard Tice gave a speech in London about the party's plans in the general election year. Um, He was going after both the the Tory party and Labour. Um, Isabel, what what did you make of his speech and, and and what he said? Today, this press conference from Richard Tice, he did also focus his guns at Labour as well, um, uh, saying that both they and um, the Tories have betrayed uh, working class voters, that the Tories have betrayed Brexit voters. I think one of the interesting things was that some people were hoping or expecting Nigel Farage to, to, to be part of it and to be sort of confirming his involvement with reform. When he was asked about this, Richard Tice just said he's taking his time. He's working it all out. There are various logistical issues. He's got other commitments, which, I mean, to me, that sounds a bit like the sort of excuse I give to to, to someone who I really don't want to see, as opposed to um, sort of, you know, an enthusiastic embrace of something. I think without Farage, they don't have the same, um, you know, I think Tice's Whenever I've seen him in debates and so on, I've always found him to be very, um, very polished, very good at latching on to um, to issues that wind people up. He was talking about fuel duty today. He doesn't have the same level of appeal and attraction as um, as Nigel Farage, which I think is one of the things that that Conservative MPs quite often say to me was, you know, at least we don't have Farage. But they kind of do still because, you know, he's on GB News, which often gets higher viewing figures than, than Sky News. And so you don't even need to be in a political party um, standing candidates across the UK, as as Tice was talking about today, to have a huge impact and a huge influence on politics and, and on other parties. Now, the, the Conservative argument uh, against reform is that if you vote reform, then um, you'll get a Labour government, which, you know, is their sort of argument pitched at um at their voters the question is i suppose is whether conservative voters actually think that a labor government at this stage will be any worse than a conservative government um particularly on things like immigration because if you look at the the polling on immigration the levels of trust in in either main party leaders ability to 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 do anything are so low um that they might just think oh you know damn them all i'm i'm going to vote for reform to send a message Thank you, Kate, and thank you, Isabel, and thank you for listening.